the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Revelation. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Things might get miserable in your own life, and things will certainly get miserable during the tribulation period for many on the earth. But for those who call upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. And our eternal reward in heaven will be a wonderful day. And it will make all these other things pale in comparison. And, and Paul, Paul would write that. He would say, I consider my present sufferings not worth comparing to the glory that awaits me in Christ Jesus. And so we have to hold on to that hope. Amen. If you pay attention to the news regarding world events, you'll see flooding, fires, storms, sickness, war, and general chaos have ramped up exponentially in the last few years. Despite that, things are not anywhere near as bad as they will get, according to the prophecy found in the book of Revelation. As Pastor Gary continues our study of this book, you may feel a sense of doom and gloom at times, but you don't need to. Jesus has secured an infinitely better future for those who believe in Him. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Revelation chapter 20 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Let's pray and then we'll dive in here to Revelation chapter 20. Lord, we just want to give you praise and thanks for who you are, because you're worthy of our praise. You are high and lifted up. You are exalted, and we just magnify you in our worship, and now as we study your word together. We trust that you will be magnified as we study scripture and and uh, apply these things to our lives. And as we get a glimpse of the things that are to come, as you were telling us here through Revelation, we just pray that our hearts would be prepared that we would um, just have your peace, knowing that we're trusting you, even though in our world things will get crazy and chaotic. We're trusting you, Lord, and we know that you are coming again. So our hope is fixed on you, the author and finisher of our faith. And we thank you for our eternal reward, our eternal home in heaven that you have kept for us. And Jesus, you even said that you go to prepare a place for us, And if you go to prepare a place for us, you will come again and receive us unto yourself that where you are there, we might be also. So we thank you for that promise that you're coming again and you're going to take us to be with you forever. So help us not to be afraid, but help us to be watching and waiting and looking forward to your imminent return. We love you. We praise you together in Jesus name. And everybody said, amen. 
Take a look once again at our infamous timeline as we've been looking through the book of Revelation. We find ourselves now here at chapter 20, the thousand-year millennial reign, which is actually redundant. When we say millennial, we're talking thousand years. So it is, it is the thousand-year reign or the millennial reign, take your pick. But what the Bible teaches us is that following seven years of tribulation that's coming upon the earth, that's chapter 6 through 18, took us a while to get through that, it's pretty heavy stuff, that Jesus returns to the earth at the end of the tribulation period, settles the battle of Armageddon, uh, is victorious over the armies that have advanced against uh, Israel and the God of Israel, and, uh, and Jesus then establishes his kingdom on earth for a thousand years. Now, there's more to come after that, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. Just for tonight, we're talking about the millennial kingdom or the thousand-year reign. Now, I will tell you before we even look into chapter 20 that there are three common ways that uh, people interpret the idea of the millennial kingdom. And so I'm going to walk you through these three things, but we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about it. One of the views of how you uh, look at the millennial reign is called the amillennial view. Ah, meaning no or not millennial. This is the concept that there will not be a literal thousand-year reign. This is uh, how some people believe that when Revelation 20 is talking about the thousand years, that it is symbolic, that it's not literal, and that the thousand years are just symbolic of the church age, the period in which we are presently living. So if you believe that, then you have to also believe, which people who hold to the amillennial view do, that Satan is currently bound during this time period. And they still would tell you, though, that the tribulation is going to come after which Jesus will judge the living and the dead, and then there will be a new heaven and a new earth. So the rest of their view is is pretty consistent in terms of there's a tribulation, there's a new heaven, a new earth. But those who hold to the amillennial view don't believe that this is a literal thousand-year reign. And you'd be surprised the people who hold to this position. Augustine was somebody famous in the fourth century who held to this position. Uh, the Roman Catholic Church, by and large, holds to this position. Some Baptists hold to this position. It's the amillennial view of uh, the thousand-year uh, reign of Christ. I don't subscribe to this, but I'm just telling you this is one of the views. Uh, the second view of this, of this time period is called the post-millennial view. That is, that Christ returns after the thousand years. Thus, we get the term post-millennial. The thousand years are seen as literal and thought to be the time of the greatest harvest of souls leading up to the return of Christ. There's a problem with the amillennial view and there's a problem with this view. Well, there's a few, by the way. The amillennial view teaches that Satan is already bound. If Satan is already bound, we're in big trouble. Because as crazy and sinful and evil as the world is, you mean to tell me that you think Satan's bound, but we got all this craziness. So there's a problem there. The problem with this one is that the Bible actually teaches that there will not be a great harvest as we get closer to the return of Christ. The Bible actually teaches there will be a great apostasy as we get closer to the return of Christ. The Bible teaches that there will be a falling away. That people will not put up with sound doctrines. They will gather around themselves teachers who will tell them what their itching ears want to hear. Now, listen to this because this is not a contradiction. There will be a great advancement of the gospel, okay, because of technology and, and the ability to get the gospel around the world. 
But as we get closer to the return of Christ, Jesus even tells us in Matthew 24 that the love of most will grow cold and there will be a great falling away from the faith. So there's going to be an apostasy. So that's a major problem with the post-millennial view. It's, it's this idea that, that, you know, Jesus comes after the thousand year period of time and, um, and that there's a great harvest of souls leading up to that. And we see quite the opposite, actually. There's an advancement of the gospel, but there's a great apostasy that happens. The last view is the premillennial view. That is to say that Christ returns at the end of the seven years of tribulation, which marks the beginning of the millennial period. Thus, he returns premillennial. And he establishes his kingdom here on earth for a thousand years. Believers will rule and reign with Jesus during the millennial kingdom. This is the view that we hold to. So this is going to be the angle that I'm teaching from when we look at Revelation chapter 20. But again, you know, we we need to be reminded of the things that are to come. And uh, when we when we think about uh, Satan being bound right now, well, that that's just ridiculous. And and when we think about a great harvest, unfortunately, there's going to be a great a great apostasy as we get closer to the return of Christ. Now, obviously, people will still come to know Christ, um, but at the same time, there's going to be a great falling away. So. We need to be mindful of this. As we come here to chapter 20, take a look in your Bibles with me. What I'm going to do is I'm going to look with you tonight at verses 1 through 6. And then I'm going to take you to other passages, particularly of the Old Testament. The book of Isaiah is rich with a description of what life will be like in the millennial kingdom. Revelation just tells us that there will be a millennial kingdom, but it doesn't tell us too much about what life will be like. So I'm going to take you to other passages of Scripture where Isaiah the prophet and uh, Zechariah the prophet speak about what things will look like in that day to come. They prophesied about the millennial kingdom too. So I'm going to take you to those passages in a little bit. But first we're going to unpack the first six verses here of chapter 20. And John writes this, then I saw, and you'll notice he's going to use that phrase five times here in chapter 20. Then I saw, this is full of visions here. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. Okay, so uh, John sees here this vision of an angel. This is not Jesus. This is an angel, but this angel has been given authority by our Lord to, to bind Satan, and he has been given the key to the bottomless pit. Now, if you have an NIV, I'm reading from New King James Version. If you have an NIV, instead of bottomless pit, it, it says the word abyss. And uh, either abyss or bottomless pit is fine because it's the Greek word abusos. It's where we get our English word abyss. And the word abusos is used only nine times in the Bible. One time in the Gospel of Luke and eight times here in the book of Revelation. The time that it is used in Luke's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 31, you remember this encounter when uh, Jesus um, goes to the other side of the Sea of Galilee where there is this man who is possessed by demons and uh, Jesus commands the demons to come out of this man. Now, when Jesus uh, calls this demon to identify himself, he says, what is your name? And the demon says, we, uh, my name is Legion, for we are many. And uh, a legion in the Roman Empire was uh, 6,000 soldiers. So were 6,000 demons possessing this one guy? I mean, how many demons can possess one person? One is too many. Amen? I mean, I, you need 6,000? One is too many. Okay, but the other thing you have to remember is, you know, Satan is a liar and the father of lies, so his demons are going to lie too. 
So maybe there was only one, but there had to be more than one. We just don't know if there were 6,000. There had to have been, you know, a lot possessing this guy because here's what happened. In Luke 8.31, the demons spoke to Jesus and begged him before he cast them out of this man. The demons begged Jesus, do not send us to the abyss. Abusos, Luke 8.31, same word used here in, in Revelation uh, 20, verse 1. Don't send us to the bottomless pit because... The Bible tells us that there were the worst of the demons reserved in, in chains in the abyss, in the bottomless pit. If you'll jump backwards, the book right before Revelation is the book of Jude. If you look at Jude, it's only one chapter, so go careful or you're gonna, or you're gonna miss it. But in, in Jude verse six, in Jude verse six, it says, and the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode. Okay, remember, there were a great number. It doesn't tell us the exact number. It tells us a third of the stars were swept by the tail of the dragon. A third of the angels in heaven, however many that represents, rebelled with Lucifer when Lucifer rebelled against God. There was this coup in heaven, and Lucifer or Satan, devil, got kicked out of heaven, and a third of the angels with him. And it tells us here in Jude 6, and the angels who did not keep their their proper domain but left their own abode, he, the Lord, has reserved an everlasting chain under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Now, that isn't to say that every demonic principality is kept in chains in in the dungeon of the abyss because we know that demons in the spirit realm have, you know, this potential to to influence uh, people's lives and our world. But it is to suggest that the worst of those demons were kept under under chains in in this uh, dungeon here, in the abyss, waiting for the judgment day. And so God, you know, I mean, think about how terrible demons are by themselves, but God, even in his mercy, kept the worst of those demons from tormenting or harming people and those he has kept in chains in the abyss for the day of judgment. So uh, when, when you think about these demons, then having this conversation with Jesus in Luke chapter eight, don't send us to the abyss. They're like, we don't want to go where the worst of us are. You know, it's bad enough when you're a demon and you don't want to be around another demon. And so they're like, don't throw us into the abyss. Those are some really bad demons there. And that's when Jesus sent them instead into the herd of swine. And then the swine ran off the cliff into the Sea of Galilee and they, they committed suicide. All right. <laughs> they became d- deviled ham. But anyway, so um, that's what happened there in Luke chapter 8. Pray for me. It's just a twisted sense of humor. Um, but they were begging him, don't send us to the abyss. That's the abyss we're reading about here back in Revelation chapter 20. So you can turn back there now. So, so an angel comes down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, to the abyss, and a great chain in his hand. That's also what we read in Jude 6 about, the, about a chain. And it, and it says here, and he, that is that angel, laid hold of the dragon. Okay, now notice the different terms here for, for Satan. He laid hold of the dragon. That serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. So it's as if, you know, God just wants to make sure we know who's being bound here, just so that we know. This is the dragon, this is that serpent of old, this is the devil, this is Satan. Got it? Got it. All right. Now, the idea here of these different terms, you know, the dragon is the name by which Satan is known in the book of Revelation. The serpent of old is a reference back to Genesis chapter 3. The first time we're introduced to Satan in the Bible, he appears as a serpent in Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden. He's the one who convinces Eve 
and, and Adam is right there along with her um, and doesn't intervene and doesn't take some spiritual leadership. So they both end up believing the lie that God is depriving them and that if they would eat of the fruit, which God told them not to eat, that they would, their eyes would be open, they would be as wise as God. And so Satan tempted and appears there at, in the Garden of Eden as a serpent. So that's that reference to the serpent of old, who is the devil. The word devil in the Greek is diabolos, diabolic. Somebody who's diabolic is, is evil, but diabolos literally means accuser. And also known as Satan, which is really his Hebrew name, spelled the same way, Satan, meaning adversary or enemy. And he's bound. A chain is bound around him, and he's cast into the abyss for a thousand years. For this millennium. Yeah, praise God. Um, and, um, and he's bound there for that thousand years. Verse 3, and he, the angel, cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up. And set a seal on him so that he should, so that he should, uh, deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. Why? (laughs) If you haven't read that verse before, that should at least cause you now to ask why? Why if he's being bound and they put a whole, wrap him in chains, put a seal over him to make sure he's not going to go anywhere. But then he's going to get released at the end of the thousand years for a little while. If you jump ahead to verse 7, same chapter, just look at verse 7. Now, when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and he will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle whose number it is as the sand of the sea. Here we go again. This sounds very similar to, to what happened in Armageddon. It's like Armageddon 2.0. We'll talk about this in a minute. Why would God do that? There's a reason. But for the moment, let's get through the rest of the verses here. So back at verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Now, he sees here thrones in heaven, and he says, and they sat on them. Who's the they? Well, when it tells us here, that judgment was committed to them, it gives us a little insight into who the they are. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 2, if you want to turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 6, 2, Paul would say this, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? You see, God will use believers as his um, understudies, if you will. He will use believers in that day to help him rule and to reign. He will give believers authority to judge the world um, at, at the end there of the tribulation as we come into the millennial kingdom. And so he gives believers that authority. So in Revelation 24, when he sees thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them, since Paul tells us there in 1 Corinthians 6, 2, that it'll be the saints, it'll be Christians, believers who judge the world under the authority of Jesus, then the ones he sees here are believers. Those who have already gone to heaven, they've died, they have been, they, they either were raptured before the tribulation, or they died before the tribulation, and they're in heaven. Those are those saints. That's the first group he sees. But then he sees a second group here, back in chapter 20, verse the rest of verse 4. Then I saw 
the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So the second group he sees are also believers. They're also saints. But he distinguishes them from those who died before the tribulation. These are the saints who died during the tribulation. These are the saints who were martyred for their faith. They were killed because of the word of God. They did not deny their testimony, their witness for Jesus, for the word of God. And they did not worship the beast, which is the Antichrist, or his image. And they did not receive his mark, the 666, on their foreheads or on their hands. And so they're, they're killed for their faith. Now, back in chapter 15, if you want to just glance back at chapter 15, it, it tells us uh, in verse 2, uh, John sees this group of martyrs uh, in heaven in, in Revelation 15, verse 2, and I saw something like a sea of glass. Now, a lot of times I've mentioned to you that whenever you see sea, uh, S-E-A, in, in the book of Revelation, it almost never means a body of water. It almost always refers to what, an expression we would say, the sea of humanity. He's looking out over a vast number of people like a sea of glass, mingled with fire. And those who have the victory over the beast, these, these are the same people, the martyrs during the tribulation period, they had victory over the beast, over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God, and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, and then the song is listed there. So there in chapter 15, John actually sees these martyred saints around the throne of God with harps worshiping the Lord. So they are brutally treated on earth. They are martyred for their faith. In fact, it, it tells us uh, back here um, in chapter 20 that when it says that they had been beheaded, uh, so it tells us exactly how they are killed. They are martyred by having their head cut off. So it's brutal what happens to them on earth. But there in chapter 15, John sees this vision of them, though, their spirits in heaven rejoicing around the throne of God. You know, things might be terrible on earth, but remember, there is the ultimate reward of heaven. And things might get miserable in your own life, and things will certainly get miserable during the tribulation period for many on the earth. But for those who call upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved, and our eternal reward in heaven will be a wonderful day, and it will make all these other things pale in comparison. And, and Paul, Paul would write that. He would say, I consider my present sufferings not worth comparing to the glory that awaits me in Christ Jesus. And so we have to hold on to that hope, amen? That is the hope of the church. Amen. So, so John sees here, back in chapter 20, he sees the saints who have either been raptured or died before the tribulation. That's the first group. He sees the second group. Those are the souls of those who were slain, martyred uh, during the tribulation because they refused to deny their testimony in Jesus. They refused to take the mark of the beast. They refused to worship uh, the Antichrist. And, and, he, and he says there in verse 5, but the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Now, when he says the rest of the dead, what he means is the unsaved dead. The unsaved dead are going to be judged at the end of the thousand year period. But those who are experiencing the first resurrection 
uh, are those who have died before that judgment. And that's why he adds in verse 6, blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. In other words, all those saints who have died before the tribulation and those saints who died during the tribulation, all the saints throughout history who died before the tribulation and those saints who died during the tribulation are considered part of the first resurrection. Thanks for listening today to Cornerstone Connection. This book of Revelation that you've been studying with Pastor Gary is one that many have studied and analyzed, tried and tried again to pinpoint on a timeline. When will Jesus come? When will these and times events take place? Have they already begun? There are many questions we don't have the answers to, and we won't until they happen. But there are some truths that we can hold on to. These events will happen. Jesus is returning, and he will defeat Satan once and for all. And all those who have made Jesus Lord in their life will be with him for eternity. What a wonderful time that will be. So where does that leave us? It's important to know what's coming so that you can prepare now and trust Jesus for what we don't know. We must give our lives to the Lord, and we need to give others the opportunity to do the same. We're so glad you tuned in for today's study in Revelation. If you'd like to explore more teachings from God's Word that Pastor Gary has shared, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. There you'll also learn more about the church behind this ministry, Cornerstone Chapel. Come visit us if you're in the area. All the information you need is at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Join us next time for more here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.